So Z, thank you so much for joining me on this uh, cold wintry morning, very early. Uh, we're all a little sleep, sleep deprived. It's like the first week officially back to work and everything. Um, but I would love to jump straight in and, and maybe you can explain who you are in a tweet so all the audience get to know you at the very beginning. Uh, yes, uh, so my name is Z. I was born and raised in the Netherlands, moved to the States for uh, about a decade, studied psychology, um, didn't do anything with it and uh, started working in customer service, got really bored of that and started doing what I kind of like to do, which is build new ideas and automate things and innovate. Cool, that's great. Everyone always get catches me by surprise when they actually do a proper tweet and then I'm like, oh, I'm expecting more, you know? But um, super, super, so thanks so much for that. But that was a really interesting point. I actually didn't know that you studied psychology. So I didn't do psychology, but I did a little bit of ecological psychology, kind of like behavioral neuroscience a little bit. So and we have a little a little overlap there, which is kind of nice. So you, you touched already on your motivation as a founder, and I think you've been involved with at least two or three different startups or small businesses. And um, so maybe you could explain a little bit more about your motivation, about why you're not working necessarily full time in the corporate world, but you have this desire to have something of your own that you control. And maybe, I don't know, your motivation, but also some lessons that you've learned uh, from being involved with those companies, if, just to kick things off. Yeah, sure. No, I, um, I did try the corporate world, um, but, you know, with a psychology degree, you can't do very much. So one of my friends was working at a... Uh, um, security company that built security software and they also do like the private version of um, like calling 911 um, and I did their customer service um, and then I tried to move up tried to move up didn't really go anywhere um, ended up moving back here to the Netherlands also doing customer service tried to move up tried to move up got stalled um, and kind of got really sick of the the just the rat race, the rat race, yeah, right. chasing that corporate ladder, yeah. right? So it's, it's, um, so I, the right term is actually burnout. So I burned out twice, um, and got really sick. Um, uh, and then, um, you know, you got, you, you have to go to the psychologist and the doctors to make sure everything's healthy and then slowly integrate back into work. And as soon as I integrated, I got immediately sick again. So it was really clear that wow. what kept me sick was, working for other people. So then of course I decided that instead of working for other people, it was better to work with other people. Um, and I've always kind of had ideas of things that I wanted to start and do. Um, and so I'd always kind of worked like the side hustle thing. So uh, while I was working at, in a customer service, I started to have this baby gear to bring like baby items to the market that we didn't, um, that we either had in the States and didn't have here or just didn't exist. Um, I see a lot of people taking those market opportunities with like, yeah. you know, cool, cool, simple inventions That's that it. just haven't reached Europe yet, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a really cool gadget market and it's really handy because you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Um, so that's really nice. And um, the more I started working on my own ideas, the healthier and the better I felt. Mm. Um, so that was just for me the, the yeah, the turning point, get sick trying to work the corporate ladder or be healthy and happy trying to do your own thing. Um, so easy switch. Yeah, no, that's really cool. I mean, I had something similar as well with, with burnout, just being unhappy with the, the type of work that I was doing as well. I mean, I wasn't um, that bad, so I'm obviously very sorry to hear, but 
uh, as you described, it's a very clear signal from your body and from your mind and from everything that is just is just not fitting for for your personality or for for whatever right and um, so that's really interesting that you um thankfully made the right decision to go towards something that makes you i hope happier as well yeah. right because happiness is is the goal after all right yeah it's it's really the like the terrible days of being in a startup and trying to build something are just better and, and more fun than good yeah. days at my customer service job yeah. something about ownership right that you yeah. the, it's a different type of stress when you're the one that decides i'm going to stay up for four hours and work on something tonight you know yeah and it's 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 multiple things for me like the flexibility of time is really important like if my daughter needs me at two o'clock in the afternoon then great i'll just move things from two o'clock in the afternoon to 8 p.m yeah um and the same for my wife if she needs something we can just i i'm, I'm flexible with my time now and especially since with allergen club our um developers are all over the world and people are all over the world so there's always somebody up uh, to work and the other thing is um one of the most frustrating things when i was working in the corporate world is especially in customer service trying to solve people's problems mm. is that you are not responsible so you can't really do anything about it um and in the startup world as the founder you are responsible regardless of what happens so even that switch like just not being able to fix it or be responsible for the problem was really frustrating and stressful to me yeah so you're kind of just a middleman in a way right to like yeah, make the customer cool. calm down and feel like they're listened to but you can't actually have the power yeah, to yeah, yeah. fix it but that's the only thing you could do you could attempt to calm them down but you can't fix their you, you can't really you know like the fix has to then go into development cycles has to be approved and yeah you have no hand on that process so that that was really frustrating now okay. in the software world i can just tell them if they need to fix it or not so. make the customers happy right it's a key to a successful company after all right sure. cool um so what about then are there any like particular lessons or any mistakes that were made along that journey of of working for yourself or working with someone on a small business or a startup um, that kind of stand out. That's something that you can maybe share a little bit with our audience. Yeah, I think one of the one of the first reasons that like Happy's Baby Gear um, didn't do well, um, and um, Helvetico Photo didn't actually launch as an app. Um, yeah, maybe you could briefly describe just those two startups, yeah. maybe in the sentence. So, so the first one was was Baby Gear. It was like a clothing, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was a cover for baby seats, so that mm -hmm. you still had the handle. The fabric was really thin, so uh, babies could still breathe through it, um, so they wouldn't choke. It wouldn't heat up uh, in in the space between the baby and the cover, but it would protect them from the sun. It wasn't see through, um, and so they could. It, it blocked out a pretty good amount of noise. Um, so it was just a safety um, um, feeling for the child. Um, and the reason it didn't launch was we couldn't get the finances um, going to buy the initial stock that we needed. So uh, we did try to do crowdfunding and we kind of ran into the issue that the market, like the Netherlands wasn't ready for it. Mm. Uh, so there was a, right as we were launching, the Consumentebond, which is a uh, organization that tests products for safety, says this is the best match oh, right. for 2020, right? They do that kind of research, said that it's um, 
unhealthy or unsafe to put covers over children's items. Um, kind of kills your idea then, right? That killed, that killed everything. Yeah. Um, so that was really unfortunate timing. Uh, and of course, you know, like we had the research that said it didn't, et cetera, et cetera. But once the customer's convinced and somebody with the authority of the consumable says something, it, you, just it's just not going to work. Right. Um, so it was the raising the we couldn't raise the money because the market didn't want to buy into the crowdfunding. Right. So it was a timing issue, I suppose. Timing. Right. Yeah. And then the second one was also a timing issue. So Helvetico Photo was a um, photo editing app that would allow you to directly create the Facebook, LinkedIn, or um, the Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, etc., social media message in the app and post it for you. So it was a photo editor plus scheduler. So it became kind of a studio. Mm, cool. um, and then right as we were about to launch, Facebook took away the Instagram API. So you couldn't schedule for Instagram anymore. Of course, at Instagram, like three, two years ago was massive. So uh, that kind of really killed the idea. And then Facebook came out with their own Facebook studio. Um, so again, timing, but it was, it was a lot of learning. <laughs> it was a lot of learning. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. I mean, that's already two very valuable experiences, right? About those two different things. One using like an existing product. And now, of course, you have a lot of those schedulers. But I guess to really integrate fully and seamlessly, you need quite a large team. And, and of course, the, the right timing when the API is actually available because Instagram was pretty hot. Like, yeah, well, it's yeah. still hot now, but two, three yeah. years ago, it was it, right? Yeah, it was it. There was no yeah. TikTok. Yes, exactly. We're all on video-based TikTok now for sure. Or Instagram Reels, you know, yeah, if, if, if it so interests you. <laughs> no, that's cool. Thanks for sharing your, your, your experience with those, uh, with those two previous uh, startups. That's, that's really, really great to know that, you know, again, classic, inf classic uh, situation regarding timing, you know, and also getting the financing that's obviously connected to the timing issue that you had. But I'd love to move on now and get your general perspective because I think you have a nice story and a journey with Allergen Club uh, about the type of funding so uh, that you got to support your actual company so a lot of people of course they they see VC it's like the the sexiest it's the, yeah, the yeah, most yeah. prominent one but they only fund probably around 20 to 30 percent of startups and um, but maybe you could describe a little bit how you approached it what was your strategy for getting funded um, and and yeah what were the lessons along the way um, that would be really interesting to share? Developing software is very expensive. Um, apps usually run about eight to 10 grand just to put a basic app out there. Yeah, maybe, uh, maybe before we begin, sorry, could you explain Allergen Club just in, in like sure. a sentence or two? I apologize, sure. I didn't ask you to do oh, that. Oh no, you're good. Uh, Allergen Club is, um, the goal is to make life easier for people with allergies. Um, and those are food allergies. And we have also uh, incorporated like chronic illnesses and um, vegetarian, so alternative um, eating patterns. So like vegetarian, veganism um, to, uh, so what it does is allows you to meal plan and scan products in the grocery store to uh, allow, and it tells you then if there's something in it that you are not allowed to have. So, I have a nut allergy um, and um, I am not, I have an intolerance to milk and uh, gluten. So if I would scan bread, it would tell me 
probably shouldn't do this yeah because um, this is not going to end well um so that's the idea and we have kind of expanded that to um the relationship between dietitians and and users uh, but we'll we'll round back to that later sure. um so vc funding so an app is eight to ten grand you know and then you got your marketing costs etc cetera, etc cetera, and it kind of uh, uh keeps going from there um so we had a little bit of money from our savings that we put into this. Uh, I'm fortunate enough to uh, know quite a few people from previous app experiences uh, in, in that world. So we got a lot of work done for really good price. And my wife is a graphic designer. So all my designs are, are uh, done. Yes, that's her. why your designs are so great, by the way. Most yeah, compliments yeah. to her. It's uh, yeah. really great. My wife is a very, very good graphic designer and she undersells herself, uh, but she is fantastic. And um, so, of course, we needed funding. Uh, we knew we did. Um, so we pretty much once we had an idea and a plan written out and a pitch deck and, you know, you go through, go through that, you get your first wireframes going so you can show something. And then we started with, um, then you started looking for, okay, who all finances startups and, and seed rounds and all those terms. And then you kind of just look at the list. Okay. You got, um, in the Netherlands, we have a special bank. They're like a part of. Uh, but they're called credits. So they specialize in startup loans. Hmm. Um, then of course you have the banks, VCs, business angels. Um, so it's kind of like a low interest uh, loan yeah, basically, and, right? And kind they're, of... more, they're funded by the government to take more risk into startups, to boost right. the startup economy here. Um, so where a bank, you know, they're going to require quite a few um, financial documents that the organizations are really properly structured and they, they do a very big risk analysis, of course. Yeah. And um, make up a solid business plan, good yeah, financial yeah. projections. So, yeah. Um, credits also requires those type of things, but they're a little bit more lenient um, because they're government funded. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, so we tried to see what would fit with us. And one of the things is, you know, like everybody lands, the first thing you land on is like, Oh, VC angel investor, right? Because that's what you, that's the sexy thing. That's what yeah. you hear on LinkedIn, all like picnic raised so much money from like 300 some million from VCs. And this company raised so much money from VCs and, you know, people go crazy. Yeah. Um, so, but I really went like top down approach. So of course I went to credits first. Um, but then also like simultaneously hit up all the banks. Mm. Um, messaged just went on linkedin and found any and every um uh vc i could find that lived in the middle like a blanket application right yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like we really just threw out the ca- like the big cast net and tried to see what what land and, and what would stick did you uh, do that kind of just for feedback as well as like hoping to get lucky that you'll hit one and they'll say yeah and they'll give you like a meeting for example or was it really just yeah i mean like one of the things was one i'd never done it before so it was like i had no strategy to begin with so i was just reading articles and 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 um and seeing what would work and the other i am very much a person that's like let's try and see what happens right let data speak for itself gut feelings are great and sometimes they work but data works better um um and it's so, a super important point actually yeah because yeah, yeah, no. most people won't invest without some yeah. evidence right of data yeah, or so customers you have to make sure that you uh um so i messaged like 40 50 vc companies got three or four interviews 
I had a warm contact with one of the VC companies that does um, healthcare investing here. So I had an interview with them or a meeting or whatever you want to call it. Um, and so that, but none of them really like, a lot of people, they were interested. People were very interested, but they were not really like ready to go to like meeting two or meeting three. Yeah. Did you have customers at that point? You weren't on the market, no, right? I, I wasn't on the market yet. And um, um, was that a big factor for them or was it more the idea they weren't sure if the market well, size was on the it depends on the on the VC company I spoke to. Some of them were really like, okay, like how many do you how many do you have customers? No, okay, do you have a waiting list, right, of customers yeah. that? So and then other ones were just like, um, yeah, like what's the market? How big is your market? Uh, who are you? Are there any competitors? How are your competitors doing? Because they know if there's competitors, then there's the market. Yeah. Um, and. Um, but with food allergies and chronic illnesses, it's pretty easy to convince people that there is a market uh, yeah. because no, the, there's a lot of statistics in our research articles and um, there's organizations in the Netherlands that publish the, specifically on those topics. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the, re- I did mostly reach out to health tech VCs. So they were, they would be somewhat familiar with the health um organization so one of them i reached out to like they had doctors they also invested in hospitals and so they would know was that Um, important for you as well that it's not just the cash you were looking for but maybe some door openers for i I wasn't just looking for someone just to throw money in our bank account and then me become their employee yeah Um, and because you don't want that why not (laughs) it ended so well for me before um So no, I think that's one of the big like things to learn for people is like money is great, but make sure it's the right money yeah. because otherwise you're going to find yourself working for somebody else. Yeah. Uh, and then one of the other big things that I learned was valuations, like trying to evaluate your company for pitch decks is ridiculous. Like, you yeah. Um, There's a magic box, right? You just put your pitch deck into yeah, it and yeah, then yeah. it just spits so, in a no, number, right? Ball. You just shake it and see what number pops up. <laughs> the um, magic startup eight ball. Yeah, yeah I don't know eight ball. Um, so um, once that kind of happened with the VCs and it didn't really go anywhere, I started also looking for business angels. So I went to like angel lists and all those. So kind of the next layer down then basically yeah. for the big VCs. Because I realized, okay, VCs would be great. I have some interest, but it's not um, what I want. So like just really uh, because I really um, in my team like I'm a good dreamer visionary my co-founder is a really is a just really good at development but like the commercial side the sales side was not the customer contact which is what I had burned out previously from is not my strong suit so I try to fill that hole and yeah. a VC may not fill that hole yeah it's true um, they usually just want uh, put in money and then a couple of years down the road, get a return. Mm-hmm. Um, now that money may buy a, or employ someone to do that for you. Uh, so it's always an option, but I really wanted someone that would come in more like a, a partner. So I started running down business angels, um, who at least had connections. And for me, one of the became pretty clear, pretty quickly that I wanted someone who had experience in food retail mm-hmm. or, um, or someone at least knew what we were doing with like, how long does development take, right? It's really frustrating to have to take time from your work to explain to someone how long it takes to build an app 
yeah, and yeah. like you're kind of giving like a one-on-one um so preferably someone who's like been involved with a product yeah, like, like I would really, that's one of the things that i would suggest just because it streamlines it streamlines the process so much more um like i understand you have to make certain decisions like if you have no money and you get offered money then i understand why you would take it but if you have mm. the choice try to find somebody that at least knows things about your industry or can help you fill in a hole uh, or a gap that you have in your industry in your organization um so that's really where I sort and of for you forward. as well. I think it was also to open the doors to the potential supermarkets, to the big yeah. companies that would be yeah. a yeah. massive uh, entry point for you into the market, right? Yeah. So I mean, getting um, so of course we are super reliant on supermarkets and their data. Um, uh, good thing that they're essential even during Corona. Um, so, but talking to those companies that have like you see the supermarket and the book behind the supermarket all, also a lot of things happen like you have the nestle's the uni labors the super unis you also yeah. need to get in with them and you don't just walk into their office so because they're international billion dollar conglomerates so i was really trying to so i did end up finding someone who ha, who had worked for unilever um so we're now negotiating uh, going back and forth trying to uh, get a shareholders agreement going Wow, that's great. And that's a, just to clarify for people who don't know, is, is that a supermarket chain uh, within the Netherlands or what is the, uh, where yeah. did he use to work the angel? Uh, Unilever. Um, um, they are um, they're actually also a British company. But I'm oh, okay. Dutch. I should know them then in the British yeah, they, section. They're um, um, just a really big producer of food, kind of like Nestle is. Ah, cool. Okay, so very, very, very good contact. Then, of course, they're setting their products on a high level or big yeah, scale. Yeah, to all yeah these they're, they're the ones that the grocery stores buy from. Cool. Um, so, yeah. Okay, awesome. I mean, that, that's really great. There's some very, very important information there and what you shared. I think I'm a big fan of taking action as well. Just like you said, I'm also quite a creative person, I think, and that kind of side of the spectrum. So uh, I think uh, paying the numbers is really important. You know, you started at the top and then you worked your way down. That's that's really, really great to hear. What about further down? Just very briefly, um, did you get involved with any programs? Uh, um, you know, was there anything that you, you thought you might need in the beginning to help um, you along the journey? I live in Delft, so we have the Technical University of Delft, and they, of course, very famous. Own, yes, they have their own uh, incubator programs called Yes Delft. Mm -hmm. So I tried the, I did try programs, um, um, and of course, I uh, applied to several programs at Untermeyertum and Wine Combinator, and so I did, I did that route as well. Um, the timing right now is kind of difficult because you know, for like a lot of programs you need to at least come to the their location and hmm. um, so like with if you go to like the websites for programs you'll see like oh you have to be like this one is in atlanta for like a month it's like well i can't yeah. fly to atlanta right now i yeah. uh, can't fly anywhere really um so that's so you have to go for the anywhere programs and of course those are always um and now they're of course like stuffed full with with applicants yeah it must be super competitive it's, right yeah it's become really competitive and and they really they're really starting to niche things so you know usually health tech meant anything techy in health now it means mm. anything techy for corona um yeah so i noticed i got a lot of replies back like hey like really we like the idea we really want but corona right so we want to we, we're focusing on like that 
the direct application of medicine. Um, yeah. uh, and this was a couple months ago, of course, now we're a couple months further. Um, so I did try a lot of programs. And of course, with programs, it's very, um, each program is very different in what they require uh, or expect to gain from uh, the people that they accept. Mm. So um, some programs require you to buy X amount of euros or dollars for their services, or they require equity, or they require this or that. Um, so make sure you look at that because that can be a really big surprise. Like I heard some horror stories about yeah. a person getting 80 grand um, from winning the program, but 70 grand was then requested from them in service fees. So they ended up get, having 10 grand. Um, I think that's like very dishonest. Yeah, very, like... It's very, I find it very unethical and parasitic, like almost like yeah. a parasite for that startup. I think it's the obligation of the accelerator to sort out whatever grant they're getting for their money is, yeah. you know, yeah, or they get 80% and then the 20% go directly to the startups. And even if it's a smaller portion, it's honest, you know? Yeah, or at least be upfront about it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like on the, some websites, it says like this, this incubator program will give up to 120,000 euros for six to 10% equity. Like if you say something like that, then there's no surprises. Um, yep. um, you know, you're gonna have to negotiate like. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it's also their equity, of course, is also based on like, they're not gonna buy 99% of your company just yep. so, that, so, so, you know, like they are, it's, a, it's, it's relative terms. Okay. Uh, but yeah, just do your due diligence and fit, find out what you need and try to fit that with a business angel or a VC or whatever works best for your situation. Cool. Okay, that's really great perspective on on both sides of the the coin. So programs which are often often come before funding, and I think in your situation you were applying for programs before you were looking for funding yeah. because you probably wanted some help as well with organizing that investor pitch deck and yeah. you know like you said a lot of self learning for how you understood the game yeah. of vc yeah. and experience as well which was probably yeah. way more valuable than doing a vc course yeah. on edx or something right programs have a lot of access so yeah. um, like the technical university yes delft program gives you a lot of access to all the technical people coming out of that university yeah um, and it's a name um, that can open doors to other companies yeah, and, and of partners course, usually if you've been vetted by such a program investors are very are more keen because they know that their risk is lower because you've been like a, an, i look at an incubator program like a filter right you're yeah. just being right and then you just filter down and then the people that come out of it have then been vetted properly for investors to take the risk Exactly. You get your stamp on your startup passport, you know? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And then um, like, so that kind of, and it also opened doors for like, I needed more developers. So I went to the technical university and I was like, Hey, like I know some people, friends from there and like, Hey, I need a developer for this. So they just asked around and like a week later I got a list of names I could choose from. Um, cool. So, you know, that's that type of stuff. Don't be afraid to go to your local university and try to pick out yeah. some people. Use your network, right? I think that's yeah. one of the most important yeah, things that people overlook is like pick up the phone, call your mom, call your dad, call yeah, your cousins, everyone. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, you never know who knows who. So yeah. that's also very handy. And uh, one other thing that is always good to look at is uh, subsidies and grants. Hmm. Um, like in Europe, of course, like the EU 
have and low in countries have a lot of subsidies and grants and people yeah. overlook them um so of course because the vc money is so sexy but yeah but it's, it's equity free it's great yeah, money it's from the free. very beginning it, right it usually is or it, it'll reimburse like one of the things that we got uh, we didn't we didn't get it because we don't have like a full like salary administration but one of the things in the netherlands is if you're working on something that's like innovation hmm. they will reimburse a lot of your research and development like up to like wow. it was like i mean uh, if you spend like a hundred grand they would give you back like 80 something like if you wow. qualify of course there's like kind of like a tax incentive in a way yeah, right? yeah. they're like wow. okay well obviously you're creating jobs so let's you know and you're doing research and development and um so they there's there's subsidies for that and of course the european the eu commission just invested like some hundred some million in startups yeah 176 million with yeah. with equity actually which is the first yeah. time right so that's different but they they have a mixture i think in their accelerator the ic accelerator which is part grant part equity investment yeah so definitely right. like go look for subsidies because those are quite a few quite a bit of money for no attachments yeah yeah definitely it's 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 really good free money it gives you publicity gives you kind of a stamp of approval from the european yeah, level as well you, know, you can write about it you can um usually get on some uh quite a few websites if you yeah. do get that money because people always publish the got this year's you know yeah uh, grants so yeah. cool yeah no what i would love to talk about now is is with allergen club um your your perspective on this new breed of, of animal that's happening mm -hmm. within uh within the startup world so we discussed how grants would be really good i think it's a great transition point to uh lengthen the time for your development and getting to the market before you have to go to vcs because once you go to vcs as you said you're working for someone else um, and there's a, a whole breed of startups now not unicorns as these billion dollar valuation companies before an exit or an ipo mm -hmm. but rather uh the zebras right the ones mm -hmm. that are focusing on uh, both profitability and social responsibility. Yeah. Maybe you could share your perspective on that. Did you know about this uh, type of startup already? And do you consider Allergen Club to be a, a zebra? Uh, well, I definitely knew about unicorns. Uh, funny story on LinkedIn, when I first posted, we were looking for investors. One of the investor firms came in and commented, maybe the next unicorn question mark. So that was really fun. Wow, that's nice. Yeah. Snapshot that and yeah, put it up over the fridge. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I actually end up having a meeting with them. Um, um, but it's a good shout out for LinkedIn. It is a good definitely shout out post LinkedIn. there. Be visible. Yeah. So um, we, um, um, I didn't really know about zebras until I think I read it on. There was a little post on LinkedIn when I saw a picture of the the four women who kind of coined the term, and then you also made a TikTok about it. I think right, right. right. They came from the US, I think. Right or right? yeah, I think so. Um, because that's where the unicorn culture is very, very big. Uh, it's like either in the US, it's it's very much like Silicon Valley unicorn or bust. Um, and I am not very into the unicorn culture. Like I understand it's great to have a billion dollar valuation. And, you know, it sounds very fancy, but the profitability at cost is not a sustainable system. Mm. The cost is usually in the long run too great. Um, and um, yeah, the problem with an unsustainable system is that it's unsustainable. It has to stop at some point. It can't continue. Yeah. But then you have to make some form of massive um, culture switch 
which is then pretty much impossible because all those VCs want their piece of the pie. And in my experience, looking at those type of really fast growing um, billion dollar unicorns are two things. One, the original founder is no longer in charge of the company because he's had to give away so much equity to get there so fast, yeah. which is something that I, from the beginning, said I wouldn't do. Um, and most of them probably want to go go for an exit or, or end up yeah, exiting. If that's your maybe. goal, then feel free to do it. If that makes you happy, then do it. Um, but it's not for me. And I think, but I think from the outside looking at it, people don't know the, the flip side of it because they don't realize that a company that goes to a unicorn, the owner or the founder usually ends up with like 10% of the company at best. Now, of course, if it's valued at a billion dollars, 10% of a billion is very, very large sum of money. Yeah. Um, but this but is the dilution of shares, essentially, what you're talking of about, shares, right, of equity. Yeah. And, you know, if, if, if your exit at 100 million is your goal, then do it. Um, but for me, it's it, that's not why I started, uh, why I build businesses or start startups. Um, were you also, so sorry to interrupt yeah, you, Zee, yeah. but were you also concerned about the, the, the time? Because I heard a lot as well uh, from a very successful entrepreneur actually in Germany. Uh, he gave a workshop for one of our programs that for each investor, it could be up to like four hours yeah, per week yeah. that they're going to be emailing you because it's basically like another person. Like it's, 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 an, it's your mom, it's your startup mom that's coming in saying, hey, you're using all my money. What's going on? Give me yeah, an update. Yeah. Talk to this guy or whatever, you know? Yeah, for sure. You end up, yeah, I heard like minimum of two hours per investor. So yeah, or, yeah probably so more accurate. So imagine like if you're a VC billion dollars, you have probably five or six firms sitting there. So that means you're spending a fourth minimum of your week just writing emails and making reports for them. So you almost become an accountant. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and somebody who presents fancy PowerPoints. Uh, and that's not really that's that's not really what I want to spend my time. Hey, if you on. love PowerPoint and emails, that's, superhuman. That's, they're they're inventing the new if email. A hundred million dollar exit in ten years, then or five, then please feel free to yeah. do it. it. Makes you happy. Um, but but not, it can distract you from what a CEO it, wants it, to do, right? Maybe if you want to spend, um, if you want to, yeah, yeah. It's just another yeah. So distraction is a great word. Um, not always, yeah. I spend my time on. Um, so, so you're a builder, right? You want to create things yeah, you learn I, by doing. I build processes. So I look at things and then I say, this is better. It can be done better. It can be done quicker, which is why it can uh, be automated. Yeah. I like automating things uh, and I like innovating things, um, but I'm very much an automator. Um, so that's, so things that are not, automatic really frustrate me yeah, uh, yeah so like with the helvetico studio we try to automate the posting process um with allergen club we try to automate the meal planning the yeah. grocery shopping the um, communication between dietitian and user um we try to automate all those things it's great um, so so maybe sorry to interrupt you again but maybe you could talk about your perspective now do, do you now consider yourself kind of in that category of zebra that you're trying to retain the ownership and control of your company. You want to grow and you want to scale, but you want to do it, I guess, sustainably, right? With yeah. So I am. I always 
told like the people that worked for me in the beginning like we're not like if there is any choice between do we take the money or do we sacrifice for our do we sacrifice like employee happiness or stress when we don't take the money um so and i make a point to one of my friends uh, owns a um uh it's like a it's daycare is not the right term but it's, it's kind of like so he has an organization that helps uh, people with mental and physical handicaps find uh, work and give them purpose and teach them skills so you know like one of the things that we need is grocery store data so we'll be like hey can some of your guys or girls go to the store today and make sure that this data is accurate right so we make a point and and no they are not the quickest people no they need lots and lots of directions and you spend a lot of time making sure that they do it right and you know it gets it's it's wrong a lot who cares right yeah. we're giving we're getting um eventually what we need and they're getting purpose right and yeah they're, and they're developing skills it's just it's yeah, a different pace than the rest of us right in their assisted living housing and behind the tv or do other things like not jobs not satisfaction things that they like to do so he really develops and looks at them and say hey this do you like this is this fun and so one of the things is we have a girl with autism or he has a girl with autism and she's very um, um detail oriented and she doesn't miss anything right wow. so of yeah. course for data accuracy that's fantastic like she will rescan a product 15 times if she thinks it's wrong the first 14 times wow Right. So that, so, um, yeah, in that sense, we care about internal responsibility to the people that work in our organization and external responsibility to people outside of the organization. And we frequently talk about the things we can do once we have the revenue to do them yeah. and how we can set money aside to have an impact on, um, people with either, like we've talked about like doing food drives and making sure that we can um, people who need um, diet uh, help with their diet but can't necessarily afford it give them access um, um, on our dime and and those type of things so yeah we're definitely always thinking about like yes we need to make money keep the company going pay the bills but not yeah, you want it to be profitable right but like responsibility yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's super Z. I mean, that's really in, great. We built in like a, in a, as a cost social responsibility. Like it's yeah. so it's not like oh we have money left over. Let's do something with it. It's like no, we are going to do something with it. The money needs to be there. That's great. I mean, it's it's beginning with the end in mind, right? Yeah, uh, which yeah is because the, I find like there's there will always be reasons that you won't do it. So like even if you're like I'm a great zebra, you know, we have social responsibility. Oh, this month this happened. Oh, that month this happened. Oh, but it's like, well, if you're gonna be a if you're gonna be a zebra, then be a zebra and and do it. Yeah, it's a classic human behavior, right? There's always oh, an sure. excuse. Minyana, yeah. always tomorrow we can make always it better. Tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 20 years later and you're like, hmm. <laughs> we're a billion dollar company and like, we're, we're there <laughs> we're with the devil. For another yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, but that's really cool. Yeah, I think that's super to have that perspective. Challenging, I'm sure. But uh, since it's what makes you happy and what drives you as a person, I think it's really important that you have that 
both financially as well as in your values as part of that company. So really great. You're, you're probably one of the first zebras, maybe perhaps that I've actually spoken to, at least the first one that I knew about the zebras beforehand and then like we yeah. labeled you a zebra, yeah. but that's, that's really cool. What, what I would love to do now is, is, is finally to get into a, a little bit about uh, your, your company uh, allergen club. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that you had a bit of a pivot uh, maybe you could describe um, that particular experience of, 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 you know, most startups will pivot. So I'd love to know okay. how you got to that point um, to, to slightly adjust how your product or solution looked. Yeah. And then maybe just to, to wrap things up, then it'd be super to know, like, what is what does success look like for you? What, what do you see Allergen Club um, hoping to achieve in the next, say, two years or so? Mm-hmm. So um, when we first started, I really just wanted to focus on the inside the grocery store. Yeah. So scanning so the scanning products and making sure that you could eat them uh, or consume them. And then um, then we added a chatbot that could like kind of meal plan. So you can give them your allergy and then um, uh, she'll spit out recipes for you that you can then take to the grocery store and scan and make sure that it's right. Um, but you know, that's not, that's an idea that's maybe take somebody a month to copy. And there were some other people that came, uh, while we were building also with it. Like we have the Vooning Centrum and some other apps that, that do that. Um, and maybe not as well, but it's not enough for a unique selling point for people to really buy in. Um, sometimes it is just that it works flawless, works better or looks better or operates better. Um, but we, I didn't want to walk that little silver, tiny rope, that, that thread. I wanted something a little bit uh, more, uh, a little bit, um, uh, really unique. So one of the things that we started to do was, you know, okay, so we know the users that we want, so where are, where are the users? And then we're like, well, you know, what do the, what do all you, what do all people that have food allergies or dietary restrictions do? in the Netherlands, I don't know if a lot of people know, but having a dietitian, I think for up to three or six hours is covered by basic health insurance. Wow. That's so pretty cool. I was like, okay, so they're probably going to go see some dietitians. Um, so then we kind of started looking at the whole uh, dietitian um, uh, aspect, like, okay, how can we help dietitians help people with the alternative food eating patterns. And so we started, so I asked just around like some of my friends and family and like, Hey, like, have you ever been to a dietitian? Like what, what's the process? And it's like, so it was a lot of writing on paper. Uh, and um, we had found some food influencers that we had already used for uh, their recipes in, in Chef Mia, which is our chatbot. And um, they were like, yeah, I, I also do food coaching. And I was like, okay, how do you do that? I was like, well, I set up like a little, uh, I have a little like piece of paper that they can fill out and write down. Or like I have a little Excel sheet. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Like, right? Old school. So, yeah, my automation. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, that part of your brain exploded, right? <laughs> so I was like, okay, great. We can automate this. Let's do this. Um, so then we kind of started building on top of our app with uh, like a dietitian's dashboard. Um, so dietitians can just go to, uh, well, they will be able to go to dietitians.allergen.club and make an account and then they can connect their users to our app. And then the 
when the user scans the app, they'll be able to say like, hey, um, I scanned bread, I had two slices of bread and it'll save them and then the dietitian can see it. Nice. So then you kind of, it's just more, um, and then the dietitian of course will be able to log in and it'll refresh and it'll sync. Uh, so that way they have more immediate access to um, the dietary uh, patterns of the of the client and um, be able to make more immediate um, recommendations or catch things or see where things are not going right. Uh, and then of course we will just uh, build from there but it's still, even though we pivoted, it still fits with the making life easier for people with. Yeah, it's just the entry point is different, right? Because I think originally you mentioned that you were aiming to go directly through the supermarkets, right? Which is a yeah. quite a tough way to enter. That was a very tough way. We actually, the reason we pivoted is we called some of the people that had tried um, that before to see why they didn't, um, um, why they didn't succeed. So in... I always grew up with in the States, like you don't call your competitors. You just don't do it. Right. You don't tell them that you're there. Um, it's like stealth unicorn or stealth, stealth star. Like, Tada, I'm here. Um, but here, um, the guy we were talking to for like the business angel, uh, shareholder, he was like, yeah, I'll call him. I'm like, what? Right. So yeah, he's like, yeah, I'll call him. I'm like, okay. Is that like, so apparently that's a very normal thing. I had to learn that. So now, so now I'm calling also. Um, so like we called them and they were like, yeah, you know, like we got in really big um, trouble top down from the supermarkets that they didn't want to bring transparency to the supermarkets mm. because like- It's against their business model, right? Um, well, I mean, it's the same reason that supermarkets move their products around. The longer you are in the store, the more you'll buy, the more money they'll make the more accurately you can get a consumer to buy things, the less money the supermarkets will make. <laughs> and the system behind supermarkets, I learned this from, from Marcel. Uh, I had no idea. He's the one who worked for eLabor. And he literally was like, yeah, like sometimes, like I didn't know this, but apparently peanut butter is always sold at a, at a loss in every supermarket. Really? At a loss because people will eat it and they'll buy bread and they'll make money on the bread or they'll huh. do other stuff. But if they take that product out of their shelves, off their shelves, then you're going to buy the peanut butter somewhere else, which means you are leaving. So mm -hmm. they will sell things at a loss um, just to so make it's sure. It's like an amplifier, basically, right? Yeah, just to make sure that you make, they, but they'll make money on the bread. Like, of course, they'll make money. But, the, and sometimes grocery stores work on uh, volume. They don't care how much they uh, sell something for. They just need to sell 200,000 units. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I learned all of this and then of course I started doing the math like okay let's say I, I have enough data to be like this is your grocery cart if you go to Albert Hein it'll cost this much if you go to Yumbo it'll cost this much if you go to Plus it'll cost this much And I, so then if I could save somebody like 5 or 10 bucks a week if you calculate that back to the original suppliers of the food like you could potentially make them lose hundreds of thousands millions of dollars or yours. Wow. So they really, yeah, that's very, uh, and I'm not used to that because in the States, it's all very transparent. In the States, mm -hmm. you can literally go to like websites and be like, compare my groceries. 
yeah um, but uh, like i think in lidl and aldi which are quite common is yeah. uh, cheaper uh, um affordable oh, markets they, they're not available online really they'll, they'll oh, show yeah. their brochure of the special products that they rotate but they won't show you how much their avocados typically cost for example oh they won't and um in in you know like albert hein and yumbo and those stores they're all online but they will have only in-store sales and only in-store products, only in-store things Yeah, to kind of get you there. Of course, with Corona, they've kind of been forced to not do that mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent because only so many people can come to their stores and people don't really want to anyway. Um, their, their online sales, of course, have skyrocketed. So that's I yeah. may look back in like two years from now and Corona actually may have helped our business case. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, me too. That'd be really great. Um, so yeah, that's kind of why we had to pivot because we heard from those two other people that that's what happened to them. Like they literally just got the grocery stores hammering down on them. Don't do this. Um, and then, so we were like, okay, like, obviously that is a large risk. Um, so then of course people who were looking at us were like, oh, okay, uh, that's a large risk. So then we had to kind of find our way around that to use it to our advantage um and kind of pivot um and that was where the dietitians came in right as a like a a particularly in netherlands if they're already going there because they get the first few sessions free uh, with a dietitian when they have a allergy or something then it's a really good access point in your fitness membership um a lot of my family members were like oh yeah it's included in my fitness membership or i added to my fitness membership um, and so I actually don't realize, don't think a lot of people actually go to dietitians um, because it's free, because they don't know. So I'm going to try to make sure that they know. So that hey, interesting marketing trick uh, as well, right? Yeah. So, because, um, you know, of course, one of the things that's really difficult to do is market research because mm-hmm. your allergies and your medical data is not published. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so of course. That's kind of difficult. Um, so when I did do a lot of pitch deck I, it's very generalized data, uh, which is kind of frustrating. Um, um, but um, because of GDPR and stuff. Yeah, of course. Um, um, but yeah, definitely call your competitors and see if you can learn from their mistakes. Um, That's so, a very good lesson to, yeah, to kind of... They, they actually taught me a lot and, and actually were really... I was surprised on how open they were able and willing to talk about it. Um, so yeah, could learn a few things. Yeah, now that's really super that you said that because I, I've experienced that within the European startup ecosystem as well. That you know we do it in all our programs as well, where some startups are not directly in the program a competitor, but we have a lot a strong focus on peer to peer learning and and you know being able to pick up the yeah. phone and call your competitor because you know nine out of ten startups will probably not succeed past two three years anyway and you know they're probably happy a lot of founders because it's their baby and they invest a lot they're happy to give back you know but but that's really interesting that you you pivoted from going directly b to c maybe through the supermarkets and then you integrated aspects system because yeah the users can still use their app if they're not linked to a dietitian um but if they want it then why not yeah, exactly. So to, to 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 move forward to the future, then maybe in a couple of sentences, what what is your vision for what you want Allergen Club to be in, say, the next two or three years? What does success look like for you? Um, well, small steps. So first, of course, getting it fully launched. Um, we are going through the last stages of like 
getting our beta group ready to test the first uh, beta version. Um, so that's really exciting. Um, then, you know, getting our first maybe thousand users, um, then making sure that our balance goes from red to, to black. Profitability. To black, profitability. <laughs> and um, um, after that, um, I am not really looking necessarily like in, I always like, I always find it very difficult to say like, like everything's for sale. So like if somebody comes and buys a, and puts a ridiculous offer on the table, it's like, okay, right. Let's at least look at it. But I'm not really, I didn't start it to sell it. Yeah. So this will be something that I work on for a really long time. And because I find grocery shopping about to be as fun as sitting in the, in traffic. Right. Yep, like, me too. I really just, there's, it, 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 I just don't. I don't like it. So I really want to keep building, keep building, keep building and um, automate the entire grocery buying process. So that'll take me a lot longer than two to three years. Um, so that'll be, uh, that's where, that's how long I'll be able to, I'll be working on it. Nice. That's a really cool vision. Um, that's really, really great to see that you, it comes from your own experience as a customer and the pains that you have that you want to be able to solve them in the future. So thanks so much, Z, uh, for, for sharing everything. Maybe you can tell people where they can go right now if they want to connect with you individually mm -hmm. or if they want to connect and learn more about Allergen Club and download the app. So um, if you want to connect with us, just go to uh, social media. We're on uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. Um, and uh, if you want to personally collect with me, then uh, I you can go to my LinkedIn profile, send me a, an invite and, or uh, DM me. Um, I also do most of the DMs for Instagram and other platforms. So there's a very, very large chance that you'll get me regardless. So. Cool. That's fantastic. And what about the website then? Is it just allergenclub.com? Allergen, no, it's allergen.club. Allergen.club. Perfect. That's easier to remember. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So people can get some information there as well. And yeah, of it course, is all, all, it's in Dutch. So if you're not, don't speak Dutch. Then Google Translate. That's my friend. Translate it. We, I think, yeah. So, but you know, Dutch to English translation can be quite interesting. So yes. yeah, <laughs> you get the basics, you get the basics. Yeah, yeah, it's okay. Sure. Yeah. yeah, no, but that, that's fantastic. Z. thanks so much. I'll, I'll put everything, of course, linked underneath the description so people yeah. will be able to just click and go. And, uh, but it's always good to, to tell people where, where they can contact you and great to see they can get in contact with Z directly, you know, yes. so, uh, get involved with the CEO, but, um, thank you so much for, for, for taking the time this morning. Um, you've really shared a lot of interesting points. I'm really looking forward to listening back over the podcast and, mm -hmm. you know, dividing it up into different sections. And I think there's going to be a lot of value for, for first time founders or for other people that are entering into this VC market or trying to create a company and bring it to the, uh, bring it to the market. So maybe we do another podcast in the future yeah. about app oh, development yeah. as well. I think that would yeah. be cool. Yes, I always have a lot of questions. Great. Thank great. You. So thanks so much and have a great day. You too. Bye. -bye.